0: Father, we are grateful for the power of Jesus Christ that was on display that day when he rose from the grave. And we're so thankful that that power is available to us for our lives even now. We pray this morning as we pause here and open your word that you will speak to us. We would hear your voice today, Father. Please strip away everything that is not you, and by your Spirit, help us to understand what it is you are saying to us. Help us to hear what it is that we need to know, that we need to learn today, how we need to respond to what we hear. We know that the Spirit is the key that unlocks the Scripture for us so that we can understand it. So we pray that he would have freedom here this morning in our hearts. For Christ's sake, in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you, folks. You can sit down. A couple of years ago, an emergency room nurse told a story of a cute little two-year-old curly-headed boy named Billy who kept ending up in the emergency room, and the doctors diagnosed him as having asthma. The strange thing was the cause of the asthma was a mystery, uh, he didn't have it when he was born, he hadn't had it as an infant, there was no family history of asthma, uh, he didn't have any allergies, they just couldn't figure it out and he, his parents kept bringing him into the ER and sometimes they would give him an aerosol treatment and he'd be able to go home and sometimes he'd have to stay for a couple of days before he was able to get his breathing back to normal. Well this happened over the course of a couple of years and, and one day Billy came into the emergency room and there was an intern on duty that day that had never seen Billy before and so as he took him into the room he decided to give him a full examination and in the course of that examination he decided to look in Billy's nose and when he looked in Billy's nose he found a black jelly bean which it was later determined to have been put there by his brother about two years before which was about the time Billy started having the seemingly asthmatic uh, issues. In the physical realm with our health, it is so critical that we have a proper diagnosis of what's wrong. If we don't properly diagnose what's wrong, then we won't treat it effectively. And sometimes it can be literally the difference between life and death. I was just reading this week one of the most dangerous diseases in our country right after heart disease and cancer is diabetes. And the American Medical Association estimates that 30% of people in the U.S. who have diabetes don't even know that they have it because the symptoms start out very mild. And until things get really serious, until the symptoms become much more noticeable, people have no idea. And that made me think, how many people are walking around out there in the world with a potentially deadly disease who have no idea that they're even sick? You see, often what happens in our lives, and not just in our health, our physical health, but our emotional health, our spiritual health, most importantly, is that we treat the symptoms rather than the disease. Our world is sick. You know that. We all know that. And many people say that the disease is Injustice or inequity or racism or the disease of our world is, is poverty or homelessness or greed. Statistics clearly show that over the last several years, especially in the last 12 to 14 months, the suicide rates have gone through the roof. Substance abuse is going up. The disintegration of marriages and families are continuing. Continuing. And violent crime is spiking in many cities around our country. So the question is, how do we fix our world? I mean, we're all in agreement that it needs to be fixed. We see what's happening. How do we fix it? Do we need more law enforcement officers to take care of the crime? Do we need bigger government to oversee everything? Do we need better systems for health care, better economic guidelines? Do we need more organizations to fight homelessness? What do we do? How do we fix our world? Well, clearly, as Christ followers, we are called to care for the people that are around us. We're called to address the issues that we face as a society. God calls us not only to be Christ followers, but to be loving, caring, responsible citizens of the communities in which we live. However, my suggestion to you this morning is that all these things that we are seeing in front of us, all of these manifestations of evil and all these manifestations of difficulty and crisis and pain, are symptoms. It's not the real problem. They're symptoms of a, of a greater problem, the true disease, the one that more law enforcement and bigger government and better systems will not eradicate. I want you to be thinking about this morning the fact that what our world truly needs is a savior because the disease that inflicts this world is Sin. Everything that we're seeing today around us is the result of sin. All the pain, all the suffering, all the conflict is because of sin. And this morning, as we look into the Scripture, I want you to see that Jesus is the Savior. The world needs a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. Now, a week has passed in our lives since we were here last Sunday, and we talked about the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. And what you need to keep in mind, I'm trying to, we tried to do this last week with the triumphal entry. We tried to to paint the picture of what happened so you can see it. Get it off the two-dimensional page and picture in your mind the events of what happened on that day. And so, in continuing with that, you need to understand that a week has gone by, and the life of Jesus too and in the life of the disciples. It's been a week. Now last week when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, that was a Sunday as well. It says that the Sabbath had passed. He rode into Jerusalem and everyone knew, everyone learned That Jesus was the king. Remember how triumphant it was? Remember the setting? Coming down off that ridge into the city of Jerusalem. Riding on the donkey with thousands of people hollering Hosanna. Remember what Hosanna means? Please save us. And putting their coats and putting the the branches on the street for him to walk down into the city. And the whole city was stirred up. In the triumph of it all, everyone knew that Jesus was the king. But now a week has passed, and Jesus is dead. They didn't see that coming. He's the king. He's gonna, he's gonna save us. He's gonna deliver us from Rome. We're not gonna be slaves anymore. We're gonna have freedom. Freedom. We're going to be able to govern ourselves. We're going to be able to do whatever we want. We're going to be able to worship the way that we want to. But instead, Jesus was betrayed. He was arrested. He was convicted. He was beaten. And he was crucified. Not only that, but he was abandoned by all of his followers and all of his friends. They all left. If you had been there that day, if you'd have been there the week before, you would have been praising and saying, Jesus is the king. But if you'd have been there on this day, you know what you would have said? You would have said, it's over. It's over. Jesus is just like, All of the other revolutionaries, he's just like all of the other quote unquote messiahs that have come along and said they had the answers to all our problems and that they would give us freedom. He's just like all the rest of them. It's over. Time to go back to our lives. Mark chapter 16 and verse 1 says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, And Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. So from the euphoria of the triumph to now, imagine the letdown. Well, let's just go anoint his body. We thought we were going to be having a victory parade Instead, we're going to anoint his body. Now, this was the custom. This was usual. They did not embalm the dead. And so it was typical for them to take spices and fragrant oils and ointments and go and anoint the body so that it would help, you know, very practically keep the smell down as the body decayed and decomposed. So some of the ladies decided that they would go and do this. Notice it says that when the sun had risen, literally, very early, literally, that means at dawn. I was sitting in my living room this morning, and we have a, a window in our living room that faces east, and I was sitting there, and I was looking out the window, and through the trees, I could see the sun rise up over the hill. I don't know what time it was, it was about 6.15 or 6.30, and I could see it peeking up over the hill over the hill just as I was looking over my notes here and I thought about these ladies making their way through the tomb. It would have been cold and dark as the sun came up over the hills. And in verse 3 it said, and as they were saying or and they were saying one to another as they were walking to the tomb who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb oh man we weren't even thinking about that so add had insult to injury they're already discouraged they're already depressed about what's happening let's just go to the tomb and and honor our fallen leader and then they get halfway there and they're like what are we thinking we can't even get in there you see what had happened was a man named Joseph of Arimathea had given his tomb the tomb that he had prepared for himself and his family he had given it for the burial of Jesus and if we were to read the other accounts, all, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record the crucifixion and the burial of Jesus Christ. And if we read the other accounts, we found out that on Friday night after he died, they put him in the tomb, they wrapped him in the burial clothes, put him in the tomb, and they rolled a very large stone in front of the door. Now again, that was practical. Practical to keep the animals out, to keep grave robbers out, anyone that would be looking for valuables or to do any harm. And on Friday night, they had seen that it had been closed. They didn't even know at that, they didn't even know the whole story because Matthew tells us that later on that evening, while they were all there watching Jesus be buried, the Pharisees went to Pilate and they said, you know a bunch of his followers have been talking about the fact that he was going to rise from the dead. And he himself said he was going to rise from the dead. So what if we sealed the stone and put some guards in front of it because the last thing we want is for someone to come and steal the body and then pretend that he's risen and stir everything all up again. So it would be in your best interest, pilot, if you want to keep the peace to seal that tomb up so that nobody comes and does anything like that. They didn't even know that part verse 4. And looking up as they got there, they saw that the stone had rolled back, been rolled back. It was very large. Imagine their surprise. They're like, "Oh man, we're not even going to be able to get in there because the stone is there and we're not strong enough to move it." And then they come around the corner and it had been rolled away. It was very large. Literally, the Greek word here is mega. <laughs> it was a mega stone in front of this tomb, but it was moved. Now again, if we take all four accounts and we weave them together and we get a full picture of what happened here, John tells us that as soon as she came around the corner, Mary Mary Magdalene saw that the stone had been moved, had been rolled away from the tomb, she took off. She took off to go tell the disciples that someone had stolen Jesus' body. It never had occurred to her that he had risen from the grave. She just went to tell them that he had been stolen, even though he had just told them this would happen. Now, last week when we read about the triumphal entry, that was Mark chapter 11. In Mark chapter 10, right at the end of the chapter, in verse, 30, verse 32, it says, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. Now, listen to this. And taking the 12, again, that is the disciples. He began to tell them what was to happen to him. This should not have been a surprise to them. uh, Jesus had told them very clearly, verse 33, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. Verse 34, they will mock him, they will spit on him, they will flog him, they will kill him, and after three days he will rise. So Jesus is talking about himself here. This is what's going to happen, guys. Don't be surprised. This is what is going to take place. Verse 5, back in chapter 16. And they entered the tomb, and they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Now, how many times had Jesus said, I don't want you to be surprised about what's going to happen. This is what's happening here. I'm going to go down. We're going to get arrested. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to rise again. He told them that several times. But again, they were alarmed. Why were they alarmed this time? They were alarmed the first time when the, surprise when the stone was rolled away. This time they're surprised because they thought the tomb would be empty. They assumed the stone being moved meant someone who had stolen his body, that someone had taken him. The word alarmed there means astonished. It means awestruck, awestruck. Verse six, and said to them, this young man, it says, said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. So they walk up and they're shocked again This person is sitting here. Now, Matthew tells us that this is an angel. And again, Matthew gives us a lot more detail. Here's what Matthew says happens. Angels come down. The guard is there, the guard that the Pharisees asked for, that Pilate said, you have your guard, let's do it, we'll seal the tomb. The soldiers were there. Matthew tells us that angels came down, moved the guards out of the way. They were frozen terrified, moved them out of the way, and the angels moved the stone. And clearly here Mark tells us that one of the angels is still there. And so they looked inside and they saw his burial clothes, Matthew says, folded and sitting there on the bench where his body had laid. Angel said, have a look, see for yourself, he's not here, he's risen. Verse seven, but go, And tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So the ladies are kind of frozen. They're awestruck. They they don't know what to say. I mean, first the stone is gone, and now this angel is here, and he's telling them that Jesus is risen. And what does the angel say? Go tell everybody. Don't stay here. There's nothing going on here. Go tell them that he's risen, just like he said. I think it's very interesting that Mark, in his description here, says, tell his disciples and Peter. Peter was a disciple. Why did he say tell his disciples and Peter? I think Peter and the ladies and all the other disciples figured that Peter wasn't one of the group anymore because again if we go back to the crucifixion account what do we remember what do we find out if you're familiar with the story Peter denies Jesus he's warming his hands by the fire hey aren't you with that guy that's getting crucified no it's not me you must have me mistaken for someone else a few minutes later, are you sure I really think I recognize you? No, it's not me. Then a young girl comes and asks him, and he blasphemes Jesus. He curses. And he realizes what he's done and he runs away. Go tell the disciples and Peter. It's okay, Peter. Come back. He's risen just as he said. And he's going to Galilee. In Mark 14, 28, he told them again, after I'm raised up, I'll go before you into Galilee. Jesus even told them where to meet him. I'll be in Galilee. You guys come. Everything had happened just as he said it would, but they had not believed it. Jesus identified himself as the Savior by rising from the dead, and in so doing, he proved that he had the power over sin and death. And his disciples and those who followed him didn't think it was possible. They didn't understand what he was telling them. And besides, and this is what's been nagging at me the last couple of weeks as I've been thinking about these two events that we've talked about here. Why would he do it anyway? Jesus is the king. He's going to defeat Rome. No more oppression. No more injustice. And I keep asking myself this question all week as I've thought about these two, these two seminal moments in Jesus' life. Why would a king allow himself to be killed? He's God. Why didn't he just destroy the Romans? Let me ask you a question. Do you think he could have defeated the Romans? Do you think he could have destroyed them? Do you think he had the power at his disposal, the army of angels at his disposal? Could he have ridden into that city? Everybody said Jesus is king and he could have said, you got that right. Now watch this and wipe the whole lot of them out? Could he have done that? Of course he could have done that. Why didn't he? There is only one reason why he did not do that, and it is this. The enemy was not Rome. Jesus didn't come to defeat Rome. The enemy was sin and death. And Jesus came and died and rose again to defeat sin and death. Why is that? Because Jesus is the king and Jesus is the savior.
1: You know the feeling. When you realize something but it's too late. As much as you wish you could step back into time, You can only turn around and look at it. You can wish for another chance, but you don't get it. I got a pocket full of those kinds of feelings. I stood at the foot of the cross that day, a, a shell of a man, a heart hardened to emotion, to death, to gore. I was the one that nailed him to it, just like I had dozens of thieves and murderers and rebels before him. But this man, he said things, he, he did things. I, his life just didn't seep out like the others. He seemed to make the decision to go. Have you ever had someone forgive you and you just brush it off like, I don't need to be forgiven, but you know something's not right. And from there, you can go one of two ways. You can just get angrier the more you think about it, or you... <laughs> this man, this Jesus, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, he said. He looked right at me. And then it hit. Like a biting wind. I, I break people. I break their bones. I nail their hands and their feet. I stabbed them with spears. It's what I do. Now why does a man need to be forgiven when he's just doing his job and he's doing it right? I need to be forgiven. I looked up at him and I knew this man was and is the son of God.
0: So what's your response to what has been revealed? In these two events, what is your response to the fact that not only is Jesus the king, but he is the savior over sin and death? I want you to understand this morning that the only response to Jesus as savior is humble repentance. Repentance. Now that you have seen who he is, just like the Roman soldier, you must make a decision. Even though you think that you don't need it. You may think you don't need to be forgiven. I've really never done anything that's been terribly wrong. But in fact, forgiveness is what you need more than anything. Jesus defeated sin and death, and he can give you new life, and not only that, he can give you power over sin in your life today, right now. So our world is messed up, seemingly beyond hope. Why are those suicide numbers skyrocketing? Because people don't have hope. The one thing that we cannot live without is hope. We don't need doctors, even though I'm thankful for them. We don't need financial experts, even though I'm thankful for them. We don't need politicians, even... Well, you get the idea of where we're going here. (laughs) We need a Savior. You need a Savior. Hebrews 7.22 says... This, that is Jesus' death and his resurrection, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. The whole, the whole system that God had put in place for the Jews was predicated on these priests coming in and praying for them and making sacrifices. The problem was they kept dying. And they needed a new one and a new one for thousands of years. But this is a better covenant, the writer says, a better agreement, a better, a better ag- agreement between God and men. Verse 24, he, that is Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus' resurrection gives him that, that power over sin and death, or, or demonstrates it, rather, I should say, it proves it. His power to give us life. Jesus always lives for us. We don't ever have to wonder. I hope the priest is listening. I, I hope the priest hasn't killed over and died. Because our high priest is Jesus, and he always lives, and he's always praying. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, folks, but right now, Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for you. He knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly where you've been and what you're wrestling with and where you need to be. But you must respond to him. You must humble yourself before him. And repent of your sin. Because that's what you do for a Savior. You humbly repent. Now this morning, not only are we celebrating Easter and the resurrection, but we're going to celebrate communion together today. And that's that's apt. Because we're giving thanks for what Jesus has done for us. And I want to invite you in just a moment as the band plays, after I pray... To take the cup, which is a symbol of his body, which was nailed to the cross, or the bread rather, and the cup, which is a symbol of his blood, and eat the bread and drink the cup. It's not magical. Nothing happens to the bread and the cup. It's just bread and juice. But they're symbols of what Christ has done for us. And we're commanded when we gather to remember that. And so I want to encourage you this morning to bow your heads before our Savior, to thank him for his forgiveness and salvation, to ask him to cleanse your heart anew and afresh this morning and celebrate communion with us. After you do that, then I'll invite you to stand and join the band as we sing this final song. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ, his life, his death, and this morning especially we remember his resurrection to life, proving his power, Nothing can keep him in the grave. We thank you for that power that is evident and available to us in our lives. And Father, this morning we humble ourselves before you. We repent of our sin. We ask for your cleansing. For those that are here this morning, Father, perhaps without a relationship with you, that they might humbly bow before you and ask for forgiveness for their sin, that they might be saved. For those of us who have already become a part of your family, Lord, in days past, may this be a fitting tribute to our Savior as we give thanks this morning. In Christ's name, amen. After Jesus arose, one of the times that he appeared to his disciples, he said this in Luke 24, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his his name to all nations. Sin is a disease and only the Savior can heal it. And my challenge to you is this, if you are, are not a Christ follower to humbly repent of your sin trust him for salvation he's the only one that can fix what's broken in your life if you are walking humbly with god then you need to do just what the angel told the ladies at the tomb go and tell others the most loving thing you can do is tell others the truth of salvation through jesus it's the only thing that can fix our world and fix people's lives Father, it is our privilege to be together as a family, to worship you. We give thanks on this Easter Sunday morning for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, for the power he displayed, and for his power that can change lives. Help us as a church to go and tell others the truth of salvation, no matter what the cost, that others may know this healing in their lives as well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming, folks. Happy Easter. Have a great week.